Hello and welcome to the Church Society podcast. I'm Ros Clark, I'm the Associate Director of Church Society and I'm your host here on these podcasts. This week we have an episode uh, that I recorded last uh, week when I was down in Oxford for a meeting of the Bishop Jewel Society. I should just say the Bishop Jewel Society is a group for primarily students uh, at Oxford who uh, want to think about what it means for them to be uh, not just evangelicals, but evangelical Anglicans. Uh, when I was there, there were about 20 or so students, which, given that it was right in the middle of exam time, uh, was a great turnout. Uh, some of those were uh, ordinands studying at Wycliffe Hall, but most were just undergraduates uh, thinking about what it means for them uh, to be Anglicans. Uh, I uh, spoke at the Bishop Jewel Society and in a minute we're going to hear a little bit uh, from my talk that I gave. I also talked to some of the people who were at the meeting uh, but I'm going to begin uh, by playing uh, the little interview that I had with Vaughan Roberts. Vaughan convenes the Bishop Jewel Society and had asked me to come and speak and so I just took the chance to ask him a little bit about what it is and why uh, he has revived this society um, and uh, the chance that we had to do this interview was in the car. I was driving and he was giving me directions and you'll hear a little bit of that as we go along. So Vaughan, um, could you tell us why you wanted to revive the Bishop Jill Society? Um, it's a thing that used to exist in the past and didn't for some, for some time. Well, we want young people at St. Ed's, especially young people, to be thinking about uh, Anglicanism, that there are good theological reasons why we're Anglican, and uh, this is not, a, not an accident. And I think uh, historically, perhaps we've been a little bit pragmatic, and we've majored in our parachurch evangelical organisations, and the result is we haven't trained people very often, I think at St. Ed's, to think through some of the important issues to do with um, which denomination they want to belong to and uh, to think about some really key issues and as far as the Church of England and the future of Anglicans is concerned we, we do need uh, future leaders and we have a, a lot of people coming through that we want to uh, help think theologically about why we're Anglican there's good reason for it it's not simply an accident. And could you tell us why it's called the Bishop Jewel Society? Who was Bishop Jewel? Bishop Jewel was a uh, Anglican bishop, Bishop of Salisbury, soon after the Reformation, and he wrote uh, a famous apology as he, uh, in the face of uh, Catholic opposition to the Church of England, he said why the Church of England was a true church. And so it's a foundational Anglican Reformed text, Bishop, uh, bishop Jewell's apology. And historically, that was the name of the uh, Anglican Evangelical Society in Oxford and we'd simply re revived the old society. And what would you hope, what would be your sort of dream uh, to come out of this? What would you love these young people to go on and do or think or, or be uh, as evangelical Anglicans? Well we want those who've thought through why it is that uh, they're Anglican and have a confidence in their Anglicanism that, that it is uh, a denomination, a uh, churchmanship if you like that they can have uh, with complete integrity from evangelical biblical protestant principles and uh, as such with that conviction will engage within the church of england 
and uh, Anglican things in the future. Obviously, it's a hugely important time. Everything's up for grabs, really, and we need those who, who clearly understand uh, that their convictions about Anglicanism fit very well with their evangelicalism and their convinced uh, position that the Bible is supreme. Great. Where am I going here? Straight on? No, left. And um, have you been encouraged? I think you've had two or three meetings so far. Have you been encouraged We've had by three that? super meetings so far. We, we began with Lee Gatiss. Uh, was a really encouraging start, and uh, we didn't have huge numbers, but we were really encouraged. There were a sufficient number of uh, young people, especially students, who really wanted to engage and uh, Lee helped us think about the foundations of the Church of England's theological position. And then we had an excellent meeting with Andrew Atherston, thinking about the lit of the Church of England and uh, what the, its theological position is. And uh, then we had a tremendous third meeting with <laughs> Dr. Ros Clark, and uh, yes. I think many would say that was uh, well, a we highlight. Well, we may hear some excerpts of that uh, in the podcast in a minute. Um, I had another question then, I can't remember what it was. Uh, yes, would you encourage... And then right and then left. Yeah, perfect. Would you encourage people in other university towns to think about setting up uh, a similar kind of group or meeting? I'd really encourage people to think about doing, yeah. the, doing the yeah. same, because I still want people... Uh, there are problems in the Church of England, obviously, but I want people to think that they can, with real integrity, have an Anglican position and think about getting ordained as Anglicans. But also we need committed lay people who are engaging in the, the Church of England. I hope it will be within the Church of England, and if necessary, outside the Church of England as Anglicans, because um, I hope with integrity we can stay the Church of England. But if, if that wasn't possible, I'd still want us for myself to be Anglican. It's not simply um, accidental that I'm Anglican. So to get people thinking about these kind of issues is really important. And then they've got their whole lives ahead of them and just think uh, what impact they could have for good yeah. in the days ahead. I was really impressed with the students that I met. I had a chance to talk with some of them before and after the meeting. And all of them were really keen to see how they, even as students when I mean I don't think when I was a student I was even thinking about what a denomination was but how even at that stage in their life they could be active uh, within the denomination how they could serve how they could be contending for the faith uh, now and as they think about the next few years of their lives uh, when they finish and move away uh, what that would look like for them. Uh, I took a chance to uh, sit down with a couple of those students. Uh, both of them are called Jonathan, but in the interview, I'm going to call one of them Johnny and the other Jonathan, and hopefully that will distinguish them and ask them why this is something they thought was important for them to be engaged with. So I'm here in Oxford uh, talking to two fresh-faced young things. I think, honestly, you may be the youngest people we've ever had on the podcast. Um, which is very exciting. Just tell us who you are uh, and what you do in life. Uh, I, my name is Jonathan and I'm a third year undergraduate classics student here at Oxford. My name is also Jonathan and I'm a second year computer scientist here in Oxford as well. Great. I'm going to call you Jonathan and Johnny because that will help me uh, and hopefully our listeners keep it clear. So I'm here in Oxford for a meeting of the Bishop Jewel Society, uh, which you are both coming to. Uh, Johnny, maybe tell us what the Bishop Jewel Society is, first of all. Uh, so, as far as I understand it, the Bishop Jewel Society is um, 
has recently been re-established um, as of this academic year um, and is um, a society to, I suppose, um, promote uh, engagement within Anglican issues among evangelical students and others, other interested um, lay people in Oxford. Right, so a slightly different focus from like the, the Christian Union yes. or some of the other student things going on in that it's specifically Anglican. Mm -hmm. So Jonathan, why uh, do you come along to Bishop Jill Society? So I've been an Anglican for pretty much my whole life. Um, I think that as evangelicals we are um, poorer when we don't engage with the history of Anglicanism and when we and we can be richer in our patterns of worship and prayer by looking at the last 2,000 years of church history and drawing from that as well as all the other sources we have to draw on. Great. So when I was an undergraduate, we didn't have the Bishop Jewel Society. And I don't think there was much emphasis on students getting involved in denominational kind of things. You know, you were definitely encouraged to be part of a local church, but not much beyond that. Why do you think it's important for students um, who could be doing so many other great things to be involved in the Church of England? And how, ca how much can you be involved in the Church of England while you're still a student and moving around and you're at home and you're away and doing different kind of things? What could that look like? Yeah, I mean, so to some extent it, it makes sense that students don't focus on it loads and it, it's great that in a city like Oxford we've, we've got Christian unions where students who definitely would and definitely wouldn't and really aren't sure whether they would call themselves Anglican, um, you know, engaged in evangelism together and things like that. But I think as someone who's um, grown up um, in Anglican Church of England churches um, and um, have come to be relatively convinced that I'm, um, that's what I, I'm choosing to do now rather than just um, what I'm used to, um, I think it makes sense to actually engage in what, um, what makes an Anglican theology distinctive from other evangelical um, theology um, and to, I guess, engage in um, what that might look like, particularly for lots of us here. I, I've been at St Ebbs for um, my whole time as a student, but for, for moving on from Oxford, um, for lots of people that will be moving to different cities and different churches and what it might look like to be um, firstly choosing churches elsewhere and um, getting involved in, um, in those churches, serving on PCCs and possibly in other sort of uh, synods and things like that. Um, I think uh, being aware of what um, what makes um, a church Anglican and what um, what you know is is valuable about that um, is very useful for kind of yeah. thinking thinking about what's next. Yeah, definitely. I think you know there is stages in your life where you have to make choices about where you're going to live and what you're going to do and where you're going to go to church and sometimes it's really important to think about well what kind of church should that be and, and make that conscious process of thinking rather than just falling into the next right thing. Jonathan you said you've been at Anglican churches all your life can you just say something about maybe different ways you've been involved in church different things that you might have done ways of serving in church perhaps before you were a student as a student what you think you might do in the future? So uh, I'm a computer scientist, I do a lot of tech, um, that's been the primary way I find, found myself serving both in my home church and here in Oxford. Um, I think that, yeah, so so far it's mainly been that. Um, 
I think I don't really have much idea of where I'm going to be called to serve later in life. I am willing to go where the Spirit leads. Um, I, at the moment, don't feel any call to full-time ministry, um, but who yeah. knows? Who um, knows? Who knows? And um, Johnny, what about you? What are your hopes for the future and, and what the Lord might be calling you to do? And and I guess both of you maybe think about, do you have any concerns about the future of the Church of England and, and what that might look like um, compared to now? Uh, yeah, so I, um, I've got another year um, here as a student and after that I'm thinking quite seriously about doing some sort of um, ministry training um, scheme um, of some sort. Um, uh, I think I'd want to um, yeah, be, certainly be looking when I graduate, whether I, if either doing that with a, an Anglican church or doing it with another organisation mm-hmm. and being a member of a, of, um, of a church. I think um, in the, partly that would be with a view to thinking about whether um, sort of full-time um, aid uh, gospel ministry is a is a long-term um, yeah good idea seeing what what people um, think um, as I'm doing that and partly um, I suppose in in all of that uh, I'm I'm relatively aware of um, kind of questions at the moment that are being asked about um, what you know the future of the church and um, I actually received a prayer letter yesterday from a friend in another part of the country where um, their church is having real um, questions about um, recent House of Bishops guidance and, and whether, um, whether for, for, that, um, for that congregation um, it might, uh, might look like some kind of visible um, separation from, mm. um, from their diocese and seeing the reality of this, um, this situation where he, his, his role as a... Um, you know, a member of staff there is um, is sort of slightly in question, needing to do some fundraising as a result of this, and potentially longer term, the um, the direction of that congregation is um, is is uncertain. It's it's quite sort of um, yeah alarming. I guess being aware that um, it's it's plausible that within um, you know within the next ten years or so, um, my questions as to what I might do long term could well. Um, depend on what the kind of um, yeah. situation um, is by that stage. Um, is it, it's a slightly strange thing to think, but... Um, it is. I mean, I guess you can't make decisions now based on things that might or might not happen exactly. in the future, yeah. and you still have to make choices, you know, maybe not right the second, but, you know, like you say, when you leave university and the mm. next few years, and just trust whatever will happen that the Lord has got that. Jonathan, what about for you? Are there any concerns that you have about the future as you look ahead and think what the church of England might be like and what your place in it might be? I, I think my sort of main concern is that um, we'll have various churches um, in the Church of England which end up sort of losing what makes the Church of England, what has made the Church of England so strong for so so long I think that um, part of the strength of this kind of society and things is that we we help people to know what makes the Church of England different from other organisations and I think if we lose that and just become a, a group of sort of churches which have no sort of unifying aspects then 
the Church of England will no longer be as effective. Yeah, if it's just a sort of, we're yeah. united on paper, but actually yes. there's nothing that really unites us in practice. Yeah. yeah, very interesting. Good, thank you both very much for talking to us. It was really fun talking to them and to some of the other students I met. I must admit, I did feel very old at the point where I realised, uh, in fact, after I uh, talked to Johnny and Jonathan there, that I was at university with Jonathan's parents. Um, so that'll give you an idea of how old I am. But it was just really great to see these these young people um, wanting to uh, affirm uh, what it means to be Anglican, uh, wanting to be actively engaged within the Church of England and play their part in that, really valuing uh, the history uh, of Anglicanism and, and being part of that um, through uh, our contemporary expression of faith, still using uh, the same liturgy and formularies and structures uh, of the church. While I was there, as I say, I, I spoke at the meeting, I was speaking about the role of lay people within the Church of England. And one of the things I was particularly uh, struck by as I was preparing for this, um, I will maybe put a, a diagram on the, the blog post that, that goes with this podcast. Um, but if we think of the Church of England as having essentially three distinct hierarchies, that is clergy, synods and staff, and each of those operating over four different levels, that is parish, deanery, diocese, and then the national church. That gives us 12 different sort of categories of people. And I reckon that lay people have formal involvement in at least 11 of those 12 categories. Lay people have to be involved in the appointment of incumbents in the parish, of diocesan bishops and archbishops. Lay people have to have a role on synods at every level. And of course, there are lay people employed as paid staff uh, in parishes and dioceses and uh, the national church and occasionally at deanery level as well. The only place where I couldn't see a sort of formal role is in the appointment of rural or area deans. I don't think uh, there's any obligation for there to be consultation with the laity about that and, and may well not be any in practice either. Um, I think it's really interesting, isn't it? Lay people are absolutely embedded in every part of the Church of England and its structure. One of the things uh, that I came across when I was preparing for this was J.C. Ryle's Church Association tract from the late 19th century on the position of the laity. And I just think it's fascinating to see how much has changed since he wrote that. I'm no church historian, but I do want to point out something that I think we quite often miss about the Church of England, which is this. The Church of England can change. The Church of England does change. The Church of England has changed and no doubt will change in the future. So uh, in the late 19th century, the great Bishop of Liverpool, J.C. Ryle, he wrote uh, several church association tracts. So the church association is one of the forebears of Church Society, the organisation that I work for. This particular tract was on the position of the laity in the Church of England. There's a lot that's very interesting and really valuable wisdom in there. But I found one of the things that was most striking reading through it is just how much has changed within a hundred years or so of him writing that tract. 
And I'm just going to give you uh, the ending of the track. He calls for five things, five changes to the way lay people should be involved in the Church of England. <clears throat> so the first thing that he calls for is that there should be no English convocation. So I think we do still have an English convocation, but more or less everything which it used to do is now done by general synod. So he said no English convocation ought ever to be sanctioned without an equal representation of the laity. So at the time Ryle was writing, the convocation consisted only of clergy. Today, General Synod, which, as I say, has most of the same function that the convocation used to have, General Synod currently consists of 49 bishops, 197 clergy and about 260 lay people. Second, he said that no diocese ought to be governed by a bishop alone without the aid of a lay privy council. Today, all dioceses, I think, have bishops councils. They usually consist of a mix of clergy and lay people elected from diocesan synod. Third, he said that no parochial clergyman ought ever to attempt the management of his parish or congregation without constantly consulting the laity. In Ryle's day, PCCs did exist, but they were optional. If you didn't want one, you didn't have to have them. Church wardens were not optional, but their responsibilities were, as they still are, very specific and particular. As an incumbent, you didn't have to consult the lay people in your church about anything you chose to do, more or less. Nowadays, of course, every parish has to have a PCC, elected by and consisting of lay people. Fourth, he asked that no appointment to a living or cure of souls ought ever to be made without allowing the laity a voice in the matter. So if you're a Jane Austen fan, you'll remember how clergy appointments used to be made directly by the patrons, the Lady Catherine de Burghs of this world. And these days, while patrons do still play a crucial part in, in the appointment of incumbents, they are not the only people who have a say. Every parish has to appoint two lay representatives who will have a key role in making that appointment. And fifth and finally, he asks that no system of ecclesiastical discipline ought ever to be sanctioned which does not give a principal place to the laity. Yes, well, I don't think we've made any great progress on that one. Church discipline by excommunication can only be done by a bishop and clergy discipline is also in the hands of the bishop, insofar as it happens at all, of course. Nevertheless, I think it's pretty clear that over the last hundred years or so, increasing amounts of power and influence have been given to lay people at every level of the Church of England. And I think Ryle would have been pleased to see that. I also think, however, he would have been disappointed by the way that evangelicals, by and large, have failed to take their place at those tables, have squandered the opportunities that they could have given us. It is still just about true that the House of Laity in General Synod is more conservative than the House of Clergy on theological and moral issues. But lay people have not always been the positive force for good in the Church of England, that Ryle imagined they would be.
if we are concerned about the current state of the Church of England, and if you are an Anglican, you absolutely should be concerned about the current state of the Church of England, then I think almost the most important thing we should be working for and praying for is the mobilisation of faithful lay people up and down the country. The most powerful force for change in the Church of England is its lay people. We have the right to hold our church accountable to its founding formularies, to refuse the revisionist agenda, and to contend for the gospel in synods and on committees, in parishes and dioceses, to defend the Church of England as a true expression of the Church of Christ in this country. As lay people, we have the right to defend the church because as lay people, we are the church. It's always a thing that's hard to do for members of an organisation to hold its leaders to account. But it is our responsibility to do that. If your vicar starts preaching a false gospel, it's up to the congregation to correct him, to rebuke him and, if necessary, remove him. It's not his church. It is Christ's church and we are the body of Christ. So as lay people, we have the right to defend the church. And because of the way the Church of England is now structured, it's easier than ever for us to do that. So I talked a little bit then about how the Church of England works, those different structures, how lay people are involved and some examples of how uh, things can change within the Church of England, how things can escalate from parish through deanery, diocesan synod to general synod uh, and so on. And I'm just going to give you uh, the conclusion of my talk at this point, encouraging us to think about what we can do to get involved. So why should we consider getting involved? Well, because if we don't, other people will. I've been in a few churches where PCC elections are hotly contested, uh, but mostly, I think, churches struggle to fill the number of places they have available. Same is true of deanery synod reps. But at diocesan synod level, and certainly at general synod, there are always elections because there are always plenty of people willing to uh, have their voice heard, wanting to get their agenda on the table. And so if evangelical lay people are not willing to do that, not that there will be no lay people, so that there will only be liberal lay people, Anglo-Catholic lay people, even sometimes lay people who do not know Christ at all, but see this as an opportunity to gain a certain kind of power or status for themselves, or even worse, uh, occasionally seeking to actively disrupt the church from gospel work. If no lay people are willing to contend for the true gospel on our synods, on our committees, the liberalisation of the Church of England will continue unhindered. Ungodly appointments will continue to be made, worldly priorities will be set, evil will be called good and good will be called evil, and the Church will at some point cease to be a true Church. And the thing is, on that day, it will be no good evangelicals crying that no one listened to us, that we were ignored or overlooked, that we had no say, because it would be our fault for not taking the opportunities that are built in to the structures of the Church of England, the opportunities that allow us to speak and have our voice be heard. We cannot wash our hands as lay people 
of this responsibility. We cannot say it's up to the clergy, it's up to the bishops. This is our church and our business. So who do we need to step forward? Well, as I said at the beginning, it's not everyone. This isn't what everybody is called or gifted to do. But I also think the qualifications are not particularly limiting. We need godly men and women full of the spirit and wisdom. We need people who will just show up and vote. We need some people who can understand the structures and the processes and the policy and the, the politics of it all. But that doesn't have to be everyone. And we need people who are able to give some time. If you're in Deanery Synod, that's maybe five or six evenings in a year, usually pretty local to where you live. If you're on Diocesan Synod, well, mine meets three times a year, and there's a little bit of travel involved, depends how big your diocese is. We're talking about General Synod, that's usually twice a year. It's a bit longer, I think they normally meet for maybe four days, something like that. Uh, but you can claim travel expenses and accommodation expenses, and uh, if you have any earnings to lose, you can also claim for loss of, loss of earnings. And most workplaces will be pretty amenable to you having unpaid leave for that time. Uh, and then, as I say, you can claim uh, for any loss of earnings. We need people who are willing to give that sort of time and commitment. We need people now. Well, not right now. It's not election season at the moment. But next year, 2020, um, is when the Living in Love and Faith process are due to report to General Synod. And there will be a lot of really important debates and votes happening at that point. And we need people there. People who are willing to stand up for the truth, to stand up for what the Bible teaches, who are willing to vote, uh, who are willing to resist uh, changes uh, that we don't want in the church. And we always need people. The devil is always prowling like a wolf. In every generation, we need constant vigilance as we seek to guard the good deposit entrusted to us. Institutions are not static. It's no good saying the Church of England was established as this great bastion of reformed Protestantism in our country, and therefore we can always trust it to be that. The Church of England has changed and will continue to change. And it's up to us, clergy and lay people alike, to ensure that those changes are towards greater gospel faithfulness for future generations. Because at the end of the day, this is not our church. It is Christ's church. We shouldn't hesitate to lay claim to it in his name. Well, thank you to Vaughan for the invitation to the Bishop Jewel Society and to Johnny and Jonathan and the other students uh, that I met there. I hope you've been encouraged by that and found that useful. If you're somebody who lives in a university town, maybe you're a student yourself or maybe you go to a church where there are a lot of students, why not think about uh, whether you could set up a similar kind of group? They only meet once a term in Oxford. You could even do it where you only had a meeting once a year. But just something uh, to help these young people who are uh, wanting to serve the Lord, wanting to know how best they can uh, use their lives for Christ, to think about what it means to actually be an Anglican and how perhaps they could be more active in contending for the faith within the Church of England. If you're interested in doing something like that, feel free to get in touch with us at Church Society uh, or perhaps uh, get in touch with the Vaughan and see what they do at the Bishop Jewel Society in Oxford. Um, we'd love to be uh, hearing more and more about younger people uh, seeking to be um, faithful Anglicans 
uh, in the Church of England at the moment. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week with a podcast from our Church Society conference. Uh, Some of the highlights from that, no doubt. (laughs) 